0: It's what's going on in Africa, one of the most untold stories in the world today, which I'm shocked, thousands of Christians are being murdered on the African continent in the name of the same ideology, which is violent jihad. And it was one of the reasons the South African government not only betrayed its constitution and the Jewish people and the state of Israel, it betrayed the African Christians who are suffering. Exactly what happened in October 7 is happening Every day on the African continent, a few months ago, before October 7, the ANC was bankrupt. All of a sudden, mysteriously, the debts of the ANC are cleared. They're gearing up for the election. They have all the money that they need. The behavior of the South African government is out of character on this.
1: Shalom and welcome to State of a Nation. I'm Elon Levy. On October 7th, Hamas perpetrated acts of satanic violence. And one country then decided to play advocate for the devil, South Africa. As Hamas engaged in guerrilla warfare against Israel, the ANC government in South Africa decided to join the fight with guerrilla lawfare. Israel started fighting to bring back the hostages and to bring Hamas to justice because never again is now. And South Africa responded by taking Israel to the International Court of Justice in The Hague, to accuse the Jewish state of the most evil crime of all, genocide. That's right. On October 7th, the Israeli people were the victims of an act of genocide by Hamas, which sent in death squads on a campaign of systematic extermination. But South Africa then decided not to stand by Israel, but to exploit the genocide convention written in the wake of the genocide of the Jewish people, the Holocaust, to shield the perpetrators of an actual act of genocide, even as they threaten to do it again and again, to save Hamas's skin. As the parents of Israeli hostages sat at the back of that courthouse in the Netherlands, South Africa's lawyers tried to get the ICJ to order Israel to cease its campaign, to abandon the hostages in the Hamas terror dungeons, where we fear they are being starved and tortured and executed and raped, and to leave the Hamas terror regime standing even as it threatens to repeat those atrocities again and again. The ICJ wisely threw out South Africa's malevolent attempt to make Israel abandon the hostages, something it doesn't even have the legal power to do. But it didn't throw out the whole case, and it's now set to entertain this obscene blood libel hooked up to try to stop Israel defending its people. Why South Africa? Why its alliance with the Palestinians? Why its alliance with Iran? Amid record low approval ratings, is the ANC simply doing what anti-Semites throughout history have done and scapegoat the Jews as a way of deflecting responsibility for their own failures? What does that mean for South Africa? And what does it mean for its Jewish community? A community that prides itself on its members' leading role in the fight to bring down apartheid. To answer these questions, I'm joined on State of a Nation by Rabbi Warren Goldstein, who hasn't limited himself to his pulpit. He's been taking the fight to the leaders of South Africa, trying to shepherd a community anxious about whether it still has a future in a country that's throwing the kitchen sink at efforts to save the perpetrators of the bloodiest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust from the consequences of their own actions. Rabbi Goldstein joins me here in the studio to talk about the state of our nation and the state of his.
0: Breaking news out of Israel this morning. Shocking hostage. Hundreds of Israelis are dead. I want to bring in Israeli government spokesman. What happens when the four-day courts How do you resolve it? Where does this go? Do what <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. Rabbi Goldstein, welcome to the State of a Nation. Yeah, great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: I've been following your work for a while, and though your role is rabbi, it strikes me that in recent times you've been playing a different character from Jewish history.
0: <laughs> the role of prophet. Ah, Does that make sense? Prophet, that's it's interesting. I mean, um, you know... What, what When you say prophet... So I'll, ex- I'll, I'll explain. In, I mean, in Jewish tradition,
1: the role of the prophet hasn't been to look into a crystal ball and tell the future. The prophets were always those who spoke truth to power, who stood up to the kings, to the political authorities, told them the truth to their face. And in recent times, with the outrageous behavior we've been seeing from South Africa dragging Israel into the ICJ with the absurd and offensive case of genocide... You've also been speaking truth to power.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, part of that, and I um, appreciate you noticing that because it is a, it is in a certain sense an interesting role to to be playing. It's not but part for, of the classic job description of rabbi. No, no but it came naturally to me because it, and, and instinctively, and it's something that I have been involved in over many years. Because say before this, um, you know, this last war um, in the previous South African government under Jacob Zuma when he was president. He embarked upon a mass program of corruption, which mm-hmm. became known as state capture, selling off the big state owned enterprises to outsiders for profiteering, etc. And I joined the civil society protests against Jacob Zuma at the time, joined the marches, spoke to crowds and rallies outside the union buildings in Pretoria, because To my mind, religious leadership is about moral leadership. It's about understanding what are the big moral issues in society and being that voice for it. So in a certain sense, what I'm doing now, it's not really just ethnic solidarity of saying, well, I'm a rabbi, I'm Jewish, the state of Israel is a Jewish state, have to stand together with it out of ethnic solidarity. I'm doing it because of the justice of the cause of the state of Israel and the moral issues and so my track record in South Africa will show that that it's not I've spoken out on other occasions challenged government and presidents on other occasions when there are major moral issues and I think your your analogy to to profit there is, is is an important concept because it's about speaking publicly and making the argument not as a politician, but making it with the use of of moral vocabulary and moral principles, because that's actually what's at stake in this war at the moment.
1: In order to tackle the controversial issues, and if we're there, let's not shy away from it. Rabbi, there are a million issues that I'd be glad to sit and talk with you about. But we're having this discussion soon after the International Court of Justice decided to entertain the outrageous and absurd claim by South Africa that Israel is somehow committing genocide in gaza south africa went to the icj to try to get an order and they failed to obtain it that would have tied israel's hands and forced it to suspend the military campaign against hamas abandon the hostages and we're now soon after that decision a very public proceeding so i want to talk to you uh, in this episode today about what south africa has been playing at why it has been taking Hamas's side and swooping in to save Hamas's skin. But I actually want to go back to where you were when you first understood that something was cooking and that these proceedings were in the works and South Africa was going to take the crazy step of trying to take Israel to court in order to save Hamas in the wake of the October 7 massacre.
0: Well, I would say this as a starting point. I think a better term, instead of saying South Africa taking Israel to the ICJ, the better way to phrase it, I would argue, is the ANC government of South Africa took Israel to the ICJ. What's the difference? The, the difference is this. This government does not represent its own people on this matter. It has no mandate. In an American election, anyone who stands for president in America has got to explain what is their position vis-a-vis Israel. Israel does not feature in South African general elections. This government did not campaign when it was elected five years ago, the new elections coming in the next six months. It did not campaign on matters of Israel never publicly stated its its views. It doesn't have a mandate from the South African people. In fact... Many South Africans object to the fact that uh, this government, the ANC government, has taken Israel to the ICJ. Really? Has that, has that been a matter of domestic controversy within South Africa? Well, let, let's put it this way. South Africa has a population of 60 million people, most of whom are actually... Religious Christians, and of the religious Christians, most of whom come from the evangelical churches that you would know in the United States, and most of those churches are pro Israel. There are huge evangelical churches in South Africa who are pro Israel. They they certainly do not back this, and if you'd walk up to people in the streets in South Africa and you say the words Genesis 12, those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you they know it straight away and they know exactly the reference that is being said so firstly this is an anc thing the anc is the ruling party and they were elected fairly as in you know in, into government their elections coming in the next few months south africa is a very vibrant democracy the anc embarked on this path but really doing so was clear from the beginning of october 7 and i think it's very important to understand the, the anc application to the ICJ has got nothing to do with human rights. It has nothing to do with um, with with the concept of South Africa's heritage. In fact, I believe. No, it's of course bit- not. If they cared about human rights, they'd be calling on Hamas to surrender rather than trying to save its skin. Correct. And and this is not the government of Nelson Mandela. It it is. It doesn't carry. It is a betrayal of all of the values of the South African constitution. And I say that because they didn't just begin with this application. It came after weeks and months of being pro-Hamas from the very beginning. Within from the very beginning, I
1: remember seeing in shock after the October 7 massacre that South Africa immediately blamed Israel for what it called uh, an escalation in the region instead of well, condemning Hamas. With, within that first week. Sorry, President, the ANC government, not South Africa. Yes. President, Tell me on that point.
0: President Sor Ramaphosa on, on the Saturday following week appeared on television. I remember the moment I put on my phone, Motzei Shabbat, to see the footage of the president standing surrounded by his members of the, the senior, members of the ruling party, the ANC. He used the National Executive Committee of the ANC to make that announcement. They were all wearing kafirs and they said, we stand in solidarity. One week, with, I mean, Israel hadn't even begun its, its war no it
1: was the day after the
0: massacre people were already accusing yes. Israel of genocide and, which shows and you the how ANC absurd government the was are. you know its, its official statements were saying you have to see the Hamas attacks October 7 in the context of 75 years of, of occupation and apartheid etc there was no sense of any moral uh, perspective of what was going on so, and then the, the South African foreign minister a week later was actually on the way to Tehran. You know, one's got to understand. And I want to
1: unpack the South Africa Iran ties, and you've mentioned a lot here that I want to try to disaggregate. At what point did you understand where South Africa was going with this case that it was going to take this to The Hague in order to try to get a court order that would force Israel to abandon the hostages and leave Hamas in
0: power? Well, let me say this to you their, their conduct since the beginning of this war has has been beyond the pale, it has been immoral. And, and morally repugnant right from the beginning. Beyond the doubt. Step, the step of going to the ICJ, to be honest, caught me by surprise because, you see, this, this is a government, and this is an important thing in terms of understanding, and you referred to the Iranian ties. This is a government that um, has been defined, and you'll ask most South Africans, by its incompetence and its lack of ability to actually get anything done. And so anti-Semitism
1: of, and scapegoating Israel, we know, historically have always been ways for societies to cover up their own failures and deflect blame onto others. You see the same well,
0: play here? Yeah, well, I, I think actu- there is an element of looking to distract South Africans from their failures. There's an, a general election coming up. But I think it's it's more sinister than that. The sense of urgency, efficiency, assembling a world-class legal team in order to tackle this case, investing the budget, getting the thing done. You know, you'd ask most South Africans, they'd be quite shocked. And wish, you know, if this government would put in half the amount of effort into providing electricity and everything else that it needs for, the, for this basic service provision for South Africans, then we'd all be in a much better place. So it, it's so out of character what they So did. help me understand, because obviously for us it was despicable This
1: stunt that South Africa tried to pull, the way it exploited the genocide convention to shield the perpetrators of an actual act of genocide, the Hamas monsters who perpetrated October 7th, the way that they took the descendants of Holocaust survivors and victims to court to cover up the crimes of the successors of the Nazis. For us, it's clear that what South Africa did was beyond the pale, and and history is going to judge them very harshly for that. I think what a lot of people are asking in Israel, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around, is what is the ANC up to? What is its interest? Why would it decide to put itself on the front lines of this lawfare campaign against Israel to try to save Hamas's skin
0: in the wake of the October 7 massacre? What's its interest? In? I think I think look, there are a number of factors at play. Number one, there's an issue of values, and and let me let me put this to you, as someone you know coming from 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 the UK. And people in the US, let's say Jeremy Corbyn had won that election and he was the Prime Minister of the UK. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that he would have been leading the ICJ application. In fact, he accompanied the South African delegation to the Hague. If AOC became the President of the United States, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the United States itself would be bringing that application. So help
1: me then understand, what is the alignment of values? How did the ANC, which which was the party that really inspired the world with the campaign to bring down apartheid in South Africa, go from becoming the vanguard of the fight against racism to fighting pro bono on the side of the but, biggest racists of all, Hamas. Yes,
0: I, I think that there, there, are, there is a civilizational and global clash of values that, that is happening in the world. You have um, Israel representing the values of the civilized world of Western liberal democracy, the idea of freedom and human dignity. And and you have the United States, United Kingdom, EU, India, Japan. You have an alliance of democratic nations. Many of which have lined up to say that South Africa's case is, of course, completely absurd and unjustified. Correct. And aligned against them are autocracies and dictatorships in the world. There's Iran, China. Russia. And you it, would include South Africa among them? Well, South Africa is an interesting case and this is why I kept on saying it's the ANC government. The ANC, sorry, because, it's good, you're because, holding, me, holding me to the right terminology. Yes, because you see South Africa is a democracy and a very vibrant free society. A lot of people have asked me, how could I be so critical of, of the South African government? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid at all because it is a free society. You can criticize the government, you know, you can have protest marches against the president, you can do whatever you want in South Africa. There's an independent judiciary, a rebel just free press and an open free society so it is a democracy by joining with Iran and and supporting Hamas in this it is betraying its own constitution and democratic values and and that is the thing which is is so deeply disturbing aligning a democracy with places like Iran China Russia and 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 so they Why help me understand well, why the ANC is doing this is this out of some sort of
1: moral commitment to Iran and Hamas and a belief
0: that mass slaughter is justified? Well, or, I think there are two factors. In what it. is driving this? Two factors. One is an issue of values, and, and these values will appear even in classic Western democracies, as I gave you the reference um, you know, to, to, to Corbyn, AOC, and others in Western democracies. Okay. And, and it's very important for Israel and for the Western democracies to understand that there are forces within these societies that represent I would say, counter forces to democracy and freedom in the world. And, and let me say this, it's the clash of values, but then there's also money, corruption. That is also part of the story and the links between Iran, Qatar, And 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 you know there have been a lot of press reports in South Africa, and again all I links between Iran
1: and Qatar and South Africa,
0: and South Africa, and and let me say this: I am not I'm not an investigative journalist. Okay, okay? but what I can tell you is this: the South African media has been debating this simple fact that a few months ago, before October seven, the ANC was bankrupt, it as a as a political party, and that's a. Big problem. It can't pay. It can't pay. Its creditors. There's an election coming. If you bankrupt, how do you run an election? All of a sudden, mysteriously, the debts of the ANC are cleared. They're gearing up for the election. They have all the money that they need. Where did that come from? The South African press is is debating that issue. So, so th- there is that. Let I'm, me understand. The, AN, the ANC was
1: in serious debt, and now it's being reported that those debts have simply disappeared.
0: Correct. The press okay. are asking those questions. They are investigating it. We must understand Qatari money and Iranian, but Qatari money is not only a question in South Africa. They fund Georgetown University, especially the, the division for, for, for government service. Many of the employees of the CIA and, and the government institutions come out of Georgetown University funded, the school of government, funded primarily by by Qatari money, Brookings Institute, the uh, Soccer World Cup. You know, I mean, how did Qatar get the Soccer World Cup? I mean, come on. It's a tiny little country. There's no heritage of soccer. It was bought, and and there is a strategic move. And you think that Qatar has
1: bought, not South Africa, the ANC, which is what is driving its
0: alignment with Hamas? I'll tell you this. The behavior of the South African government is out of character on this. ICJ application. The sense of speed, alacrity, and uh, and energy with which they pursued it is out of character. That indicates that there is foul play. There are a lot of allegations of um, the South African banks, Standard Bank, Ned Bank, ABSA, that um, the Jerusalem Post broke a story about them accusing them of providing funding facilities to Hamas these are things essentially which, laundering money for a prescribed terrorist organization. Well, yes, or or at least providing the the funding platforms for it. Now. The, the banks issued this challenge to the banks in South Africa they they denying it but these things need to be investigated what is Hamas the rest of Hamas's presence in South Africa what are the links do we know of between well, so South that Africa Hamas is not, desi- is not a designated terror organization in South Africa so there was a recent delegation of Hamas that arrived in South Africa welcomed by the South African government by the way hosted and welcomed by the Anglican Church in Cape Town in St. George's Cathedral so the, the, the we are We have to understand as well, a lot of what the world is focusing on as South Africa's problems are holding up a mirror to certain things which are happening globally in the world with a sense of moral confusion, which I think comes back to your point about the, 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 uh, the, the role of playing as a prophet. What I see in the world is that the national security interest of the state of Israel, the safety of the Jewish people, and of the free world depends on one thing moral clarity we need to know what is evil in the world and to be unequivocal in that if if there is a blurring of that that makes us all unsafe it's not just a moral issue it becomes so a, make, a national security so issue so let's make
1: some things clear given how much is at stake obviously south africa's application to the icj alleging that israel is committing genocide when we know that israel has taken more steps than any army in the history of the world to keep civilians on the other side safe is absurd. Give me the Rabbi Hillel treatment standing on one leg. How do you respond when
0: people throw that despicable accusation Israel's way? It's very simple. Inside the borders of the state of Israel, the legal borders of the state of Israel, there is complete equality. Complete equality. Um, it doesn't matter religion, what your background is, who you are, color, race, creed. Complete equality, one vote per citizen. Everyone has rights of representation in, in, in the Knesset. Positions are available to anyone of any background in any religion to the highest levels of society. Across religions, across ethnicities. <clears throat> in fact, the judge the judge that uh, passed sentence on former President Katsav, uh, which was maybe the only shining light in, in, a, in a dark uh, chapter in Israeli history, was an Arab judge. That, that would be unheard of. In apartheid South Africa, the allegation is is beyond ludicrous. One one has to realize, in apartheid South Africa, and I know it, growing up in apartheid Mm. South Africa, you would arrive, there would be a sign at public toilets. Here's for black people, here's for white people. Go to to a beach, here's for black people, here's for white people. Um, uh, Hospitals, schools it was all racially segregated. It was an absolutely evil regime because what it did was it took the human concept that, and there is definitely as human beings, we have to fight the concept of prejudice all the time. We there, there's, there's almost a natural tendency to other another person and to say, well, they're different from me and therefore, but, but the, what, what the apartheid government did was it took racism from being a human failing and turned it into a legal system with a ruthless uh, system of implementation against it, I remember as a child, you know, uh, uh, black people, black South Africans were not allowed to be in white areas, and so-called black and white. You know, these e- even to use the terminology, I personally find jarring. And and no, they of course, would, they and would it's part of and, the part of the strategy against Israel globally to
1: shift the Overton window by taking accusations that are obviously absurd, but the fact that they make them and we are forced to respond to them somehow gives them legitimacy. How, how would you react then when people say, okay, in Israel, obviously Jews and Arabs enjoy equal rights, but the situation in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank is different, and that is where there is apartheid. How do you respond yeah, but, to that?
0: Well, I, I would say this. What, what's really going on in these areas, these are areas which are disputed territories. And, and this has been a dispute of where to draw the borders and how to, to, to designate the, uh, the 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 legal and political identity of these um, portions of land um, Israel these are part of the biblical uh, borders of of the of Israel of the Jewish people and yet there has been a political conflict which is which has raged for more than a century around how to today to declare the political status now in order to resolve that you need a negotiation process which Israel has tried to do time and time and time again you cannot what what the apartheid experience taught South Africa is this. You cannot negotiate on your own unless you have a serious negotiating partner on the other side. Now, Nelson Mandela, he was a person of, um, of tremendous greatness. I remember, you know, when I went to go see him just before I started as working as chief rabbi, and I brought him a copy of his, biography, his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, the children's edition. So he inscribed there to my eldest son, Mordi, and said, to Mordi, a future great leader of the world. Now, quite of course, a compliment. Of course, I mean, he was, I don't know, he was about four or five at the time. And of course, his mother and I completely agreed with Nelson Mandela. And I've always, you know, <laughs> been astounded at his great vision. But, but, but the point is this. So sorry for the digression down, you know, down, down memory lane and, and you know, and, and part of history. But what Nelson Mandela showed was this. He was a great man who wanted peace. He turned to the armed struggle to fight the National Party apartheid government because he had no negotiating partners. He mm. did turn to violence, but he 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 had no choice because he had no one to negotiate with. So how do you so you have to defend yourself. You have to defend your own people. Now, the state of Israel has had no serious negotiating partners. As soon as the state of Israel has it has made peace at a time when Egypt was ready to negotiate there was an immediate peace at a time when Jordan was ready to negotiate. There was an immediate peace. The and that's Abraham an important accords, um,
1: historical perspective. That every point an Arab state has decided to drop its blanket opposition to the existence of the state of Israel and accept its presence as permanent, peace accords followed
0: immediately. Immediately, we are desperate as as the Jewish people, the state of Israel, is desperate to make peace. And as soon as there's a, a serious partner, and that's why. In a way, you know, people say, what about the establishment of a Palestinian state? My goodness, the state of Israel and successive governments of the state of Israel have done more to establish a Palestinian state than any Palestinian leader. I mean, the they, successive Israeli governments offered it two, three, four times. Ehud Barak, Ehud Oman. It's been offered numerous occasions, rejected each time. You can't make peace with yourself. No. You need someone a on the other side. The point of intense
1: controversy, of course, current government is very much of the opinion uh, that a Palestinian state would pose an existential threat to well, Israel in light of the geographic location of Judea and Samaria being a mountain range that overlooks Tel Aviv, surrounds Jerusalem and is populated well, by people who overwhelmingly
0: support the Hamas October 7th well, massacre. That, that's the exact point. What t- This brings, in a sense, the apartheid allegation. Full circle to our discussion around October 7, because ultimately this, uh, in the state of Israel proper, there's complete equality. In the disputed territories, which when I say disputed, disputed by international law and in terms of international law, not in terms of as the Jewish people, this is part of our biblical heritage. But let's we have to make compromises for the sake of peace. In these, in these disputed territories, ultimately you cannot, there's no one on the other side to make peace with because you have. Hamas that have shown who they are in October 7. Opinion polls show that Hamas has even greater support in the West Bank. And then you have the Palestinian Authority who has a policy of paying for slaying. They, they pay families who go and murder Jews. It, it, so you, there, there's no, there is no peace partner on the other side. If there was for one moment a peace partner on the other side, there could be peace. So you can't accuse the state of Israel of apartheid because that is a border dispute and and can only be resolved with serious negotiations with a, a negotiating partner on the other side. So the accusation of apartheid is as absurd as the accusation of genocide. But look, as Jews, we've been accused of everything, right? We've been accused of killing God. I'm just saying. Didn't do that one. <laughs> we didn't do that one. We've been accused, you know. <laughs> We've been accused of uh, con- you know, controlling the world. and you know, a, uh, a. We're definitely not doing that one. <laughs> exactly. We're doing a shocking job of that. Appalling, appalling. So, so, so now they're accusing us. Originally, it was apartheid, but now they find, well, that's not bad That's not, a that's bad not enough. effective
1: enough. So now they're moving on to genocide. And I don't know what's it's, next. They'll accuse us of slavery or inquisitions yeah, or something yeah, well, else. I, in
0: look, I, I kind of think genocide is sort of as bad as it gets. But the, it's, it's absurd. And the problem, though, however, is the more you repeat a lie. As, as uh, Goering was, was famous for saying, very sharp on the you know, Nazi propaganda, if you keep on repeating the lie, people eventually start to believe it. And we are living in a world of a sense of post-truth with a fragmentation of so many different elements of receiving And South Africa has
1: definitely shifted the Overton window in that regard. I want to ask you one of the questions that came up a lot at the ICJ uh, proceedings and that I've had to deal with in interviews as well uh was the prime minister's invocation of the biblical story of amalek uh, where the israelites are commanded to wipe out amalek and that has, of course been throughout jewish history a reminder of the obligation to wipe out evil and if we have time i want to do a little chavruta with you uh, and i want to show you a clip that i had from an interview in channel 4 uh, just a few weeks ago with a journalist by the name of krishnan guru murthy who decided to challenge me on the question of uh, the prime minister's invocation of the Amalek story. I want to watch this together. Tell me what you think and how you think uh, that biblical allegory should be understood. Maybe how I should have responded better. Let's take a watch. Um, one that became very prominent yesterday was the invocation of the biblical reference of Amalek um, and the, uh, the the sort of the the, the massacre um, that, uh, that that followed. I mean, why did Mr. Netanyahu? Invoke such a violent biblical tale, because if, we are, if not to prompt a genocide. No, we are committed to destroying Hamas. We are committed to destroying the monsters who perpetrated the bloodiest. So why mass talk about Amalek? Because it is a very powerful. I don't want to get into biblical exegesis here and well, start he having did. a theological debate with you. Because the prime minister knows exactly how that will be understood by the Israeli people, who clearly understand biblical references. It would mean kill them all, journalism. which is what it the Amalek story kill was about. All of Hamas because everyone in Israel understands who the enemy is. We've been very clear. In word and indeed, that the Palestinian people are not our enemy, and we hope to live alongside them in peace, in a post-Hamas Gaza. But we are going but to But what happened in the, the biblical reference? It wasn't, it wasn't a searching for a Minister minority of terrorists. It was killing Hamas. everybody. He was and that is what's happening in, 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 in Gaza. The Prime Minister was referring to Hamas. The entire Israeli public understood he was referring to Hamas. The only people who don't seem to understand that are the journalists who clearly have less of a grasp of the book of Exodus than the Israeli public and the Prime Minister. What do you make of the invocation of the Amalek story? How has that been understood throughout
0: Jewish history? Yep. To me, that is actually the very issue of what's going on here. Because, on. because you see, and it's what I, re- what, what I mentioned early on in our conversation and why I got involved in all of these things in the first place and that role of, of prophet that you mentioned, um, and that is ultimately in order for there to be peace, human dignity, freedom, tolerance, brotherhood. Uh, there are forces in the world which are evil and those forces have to be defeated. The, the, the message of the passage of Amalek is to say this and, and it's not talking about a particular nation. There is, it, it is, uh, today the, the original nation of Amalek is long since disappeared. Into, into the uh, footnotes but of But Amalek history. has
1: become what abstractified within the Jewish tradition as evil, not a
0: literal people, exactly. evil and, incarnate. Exactly. And, and so it would be, let's, you take the context of, of World War II. The Nazis, the Nazi party, Nazi Germany was the Amalek of World War II. Now that, that means that they had to be defeated. You could not and, sit And Jews
1: during World War II
0: era were referring to the Nazis as being Amalek? Well, I, I don't, I don't have record of you know of, of people actually doing that. But if you think conceptually, you, this is where I think Neville Chamberlain made a big mistake, and it was the difference between him and Winston Churchill. See, Neville Chamberlain came to Hitler, and and he said, look, he's got legitimate grievances. We understand there was the Versailles Treaty. Uh, Germany is hurting. They need a bit of Lebensraum. They need they need a sense of uh, understanding and you know, they, they, their national pride is hurt. So let them take Austria, let them rearm. You know, maybe they need the Sudetenlands. And he kept thinking, if we just give him what he's asking for, he's a reasonable man, they, they, they have their grievances, we can negotiate with him. You see, in, in, in human conflict, in a certain sense, you would say Neville Chamberlain for sure is doing the right thing to avoid a world war, who wouldn't want to negotiate? But the paradigm, if you are dealing with grievances and clashing interests, then what you can do is you simply negotiate because it becomes a commercial transaction. But if If it's not a grievance and it's a pathology instead. Exactly, exactly. If it is an ideology, you see, it's not a pathology. It is an ideology of evil. Evil is not a pathology. When when you're talking about a serial killer as an individual, then you can say an individual has got a pathology. They've got an illness, which will mean that they have no conscience and they'll go on a murder spree. When an entire society does that, that's not pathology, that is ideology. Their, their, Nazi Germany was built on an evil ideology of racial superiority with a view to exterminating those who are weakest, survival and of the fittest. And therefore, we can
1: definitely call the Nazis Amalek. And when the Prime Minister invokes the Amalek reference in the context of the war with Hamas, how is that... Like, a, help, help me understand... A, how that is understood within
0: a Jewish context. Well, let me say this. If we are looking at uh, Hamas, at the heart of it is an evil ideology. It is not a pathology. It's an ideology which is stated in their constitution for the elimination, the extermination of all Jews, not just the state of Israel, but Jews worldwide. That ideology is violent jihad. That's what it is. When an ideology is evil, it has to be defeated. It can't be persuaded. It can't be negotiated with. It has to be Defeated. It's what's going on in Africa, one of the most untold stories in the world today, which I'm shocked, and it was one of the reasons the South African government not only betrayed its constitution and the Jewish people and the state of Israel, it betrayed African Christians. Across the border in, the northern, uh, the, in, in Mozambique, across the northern border of South Africa, ISIS-Mozambique is murdering Christians in Mozambique, beheadings, kidnappings. All, right now. Right now. Exactly what happened in October seven is happening every day on the African continent. In Mozambique, in Nigeria, you can thousands of Christians are being murdered on the African continent in the name of the same ideology, which is violent jihad. And that and ide- it's not an ideology that
1: South Africa has been standing
0: up to. No, and and, it's, and therefore it's a betrayal. And so therefore, really, it will, it needs to be defeated and the free world needs to understand it for what it is. This is not a clash between Israel and the Palestinian people. It's not even a clash between Israel and Hamas it is part of this violent ideology that is shared, and that is why Iran is behind all of this. Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, right across Africa, Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, ISIS, Africa. It's it's all over. There is a global war which is being conducted. And in the same way in World War II, it needed leaders who had the moral clarity, like Winston Churchill, to say, no, Neville Chamberlain, you are wrong. Hitler is not looking for to appease the legitimate Grievances of the German people. This is a violent ideology, and you better defeat it. And the longer you wait to defeat it, the more dangerous it is going to get. And that's that's why, what I said at the beginning, moral clarity is absolutely critical
1: to win this war. And so, if we're talking about defeating Hamas and defeating what it stands for,
0: how would you suggest that Israel take the initiative more? Proactive means. That what we need to show the world, and I say we, I mean the Jewish people, the state of Israel, people who love freedom and democracy. What, what, what needs to be shown to the world is actually that the war that Israel is conducting is on behalf of human civilization. And that actually the forces that threaten Israel threaten all free democracies in the world and all good people of decency in the world we need to we need to understand that and Israel needs to communicate that in in fact the judges of the icj so called international court of justice which is just essentially a body of the united nations appointed the majority of the members of of the general assembly of the united nations are non democratic countries so what you really have here is a body that is imposing itself on the only free democracy in the Middle East. Western democracies need to understand what has happened to Israel and the ICJ is a threat to them as well, because ultimately this is about a battle for ideas. And at the heart of the ideas is is the sense of, of freedom and democracy that needs that needs to be defended. What really, the judges of the RCJ should actually have said to Israel, thank you very much. We are grateful to your brave soldiers for going door to door, defending the free world, which means that in the capitals of Europe, you're not, they're not going to have to do it if Israel is successful in this war. And if Israel fails and the world doesn't stand by Israel at this time, then they are going to be brought onto the front lines because the forces of violent jihad are not stopping at the borders of Israel. This has got nothing to do with borders, river to sea. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It has got to do with the war on the values of the West of free societies by violent jihad. They know no borders. And so the United States, United Kingdom, EU need to understand what is happening here. They have, they, they have much at stake in this battle and everything they are pushing and pressurizing the state of Israel to do, to comply with this ridiculous ICJ application, to go through this charade, to, to, to have as a free democracy rules imposed on it that have never been imposed on any army in recorded human history, that is going to come back to harm the Western forces in this world, and not only Western, it's free
1: societies. And that's part of our fight here, really. Rabbi Goldstein, it's been a pleasure talking to you. A lot to unpack. I'm going to listen to this podcast again at half speed, maybe. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing for South African Jewry as well. They're definitely feeling the squeeze as well. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of today's episode of the State of a Nation podcast. Please follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back soon with our next episode and next guest. I'm Elon Levy. Thank you very much.